This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'll talk about it now. I'm also going to post a video of it on Instagram, um, which the entire time I have toothpaste on my face in it. So, <laughs> so just on look brand. out for this. <laughs> Look out for that. Yes, yes, yes. Meg, you're I the mean, best. It's really just, I brushed my teeth that day. So that's that. Yeah. A, yeah. yeah. I really, really have it together, actually. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Megan. I'm a mother of two with a Montessori training in lower elementary, which is ages six to nine. I'm here with Rachel, soon to be mother of two, who has her Montessori training in infant toddler, which is birth through three years old. And Laura, mother of one with her training in lower and upper elementary, which is ages six to 12. So let's start by catching up. What is everyone up to this week? Rachel, let's start with you. I've had a pretty normal week, but we got a lot of deliveries. I'm in this like second trimester exciting time. So I like ordered, we have the new glider. We have like, I bought paint to start painting rooms. I bought wallpaper to do an accent wall in our new little girl's nursery. And then we're going to be moving our little boy to a new room. So I and feel that like bump I've is been really like, popping. Yeah, my bump I has saw popped. stories. I was like, mm. she looks so cute. I'm like... 25 weeks now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm almost at third trimester, which is crazy. But um, yeah, it's been good. I'm excited. I'm hoping to get some painting done tonight. So I feel like I'm in this stage where I want to do everything. So I need to do it because I didn't feel like that five weeks ago. And I know I won't feel like that in five weeks. So <laughs> You're in peak <laughs> nesting. Yes, I'm in peak nesting. Peak I need nesting to get it season. done. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like it's hard to wait or no, the opposite. You want to wait until you're a little bit closer. Yeah. But for anyone who's pregnant out there for the first time, if you wait, you start to get really tired. And that end of second trimester is probably the easiest time because once you hit 33-ish weeks, yeah. I think, Laura, that's when you and I were like, maybe we should start nesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then by that time, you're just huge and tired and you're like, oh, I don't even care. Yeah. And I keep thinking in my head, like, I had Finley at 37 weeks. So I'm like, okay, so technically I have like possibly 12 weeks left. Like that's not a lot of time in reality. <laughs> no, you blink and it's like, I yeah, have two weeks left. Yeah. Like, holy yeah. cow. Yeah. I remember that we were, we just started um, the Christmas break that school year. And I was like, can you come to Target with me? <laughs> please I'm scared <laughs> but it's why we were running out of time yeah. um yeah I um uh, I'll I'll jump in and just <laughs> I can we can hear Jonah a little bit in the background I don't want to <laughs> cut it out though I want you guys to hear that we are real moms like trying to make this podcast and you're gonna have kids sometimes in the background He's I well do have tended kids to. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and we then. We all have kids sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> they just run by. <laughs> Whose kid is that? Um, anyway, I have two fun things to share from my week. I So 
I will just go ahead and plug myself for a second and say I on my other podcast project came out with my sister-in-law and like lifelong best friend Danielle. We made Not Another Momcast, which is a place that you can listen to me also talk way too much, but not try <laughs> to give you any like advice or expertise on a subject. I'm literally just like existing with my friend. And um that's out. So that's been fun to have two of these going. I'm like constantly toggling between Instagram accounts to see if I like missed a like or a message from somebody or just like everyone needs to go listen to it. It is so funny. So it's good. It's so funny. I, yeah. I pee your pants, especially yeah. if you're pregnant. <laughs> I yes. have the best time. You and Danielle are just hilarious. So everyone needs to go check it out. I feel like it's just the perfect thing to just listen to on the way to the drive through of Starbucks because you just need a minute to yourself or you are at home unloading the dishwasher and just need to listen to something fun and feel like you're with two friends. So that's exactly the goal. Thank you yeah. so much for saying that. We really just wanted to be like, we call each other and we have these conversations all the time and our husbands will get sometimes even sucked in and like stop what they're doing and like be participating in the conversation. And they actually were the ones that were like, what if you made a podcast? People might, people might listen. And we're like, no, no one wants to listen to us. We talk about high school, like 90% of the time, like who cares? But here it is. I care. It's out. I care. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> My number one fan, um, yeah. who's not allowed to be friends with Danielle because I think that you guys would just replace me. <laughs> I like I'm the weakest link in all of these situations, and eventually, we're just gonna all form to be like the cool Danielle, mom. If you're group. listening, I'm coming for you. <laughs> you can't have her. <laughs> um, I believe you yelled that about your babysitter in the last episode, <laughs> at Rachel. I can't have her. <laughs> All right. So other than being crazy people, um, also though, for real Z's, Megan is back, back and we got to hang out just yesterday. And that we was like did. the other major highlight of my week to see the girls like play, like really play. Cause it's been what, seven months and they were completely mm -hmm. different yeah. human beings of different capabilities, different interest in being social at all anyway. So it was like, so fun to see them now. I can't wait to get to get your boy in the mix, Rachel. I know. We had I know, we guys, missed you. So <laughs> lots of fun over here. I'll, I'll share more about that later. But. Yeah, that's coming in confessions, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, that was going to be one of my Sharon's because we had so much fun visiting Laura and her little baby girl. But um, the day before we went up there, I got to go by myself to go get my computer fixed because – that's the things that happened to me that as soon as I started working from home and as soon as I started a podcast, my computer was like, nah, not in. <laughs> nah. Um, so I, I had to take it up to the Apple store to get it fixed or figure out what was wrong with it. And I got there and he just plugged it in and it just started. And he was like, I don't think there's anything. <laughs> it's like, cool, cool. All right. This was just a reason for me to leave my children with my husband. So bye. You, we live really far away from the mall where the yeah. uh, Apple store yeah. is like an hour, hour, 10, hour, 15 minutes to go drive up there. And I used to make that drive every single day when I worked with all of you at the school that you're at. And I like used to feel like it was just really long and, and now I miss it so much. I was like, I just can sit here and listen to not another mom cast and, oh, <laughs> and drink my coffee. And like, yeah. And there was no, there was no Disney movie, uh, soundtrack playing in the background and, uh, it was fantastic. And then the next day we got to go hang out with, with Laura and yeah, so it was really, really nice weekend. I feel refreshed. That is why it's not actually, we were just talking about how there was a golden beam of sun hitting my face. It's actually just <laughs> feeling very refreshed today. <laughs> it's, it's your light it's just, that you yeah, are exuding right now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So good. All right. Well, we will be back after this break. Did you know that the human brain has about 100 billion nerve cells present at birth? The network's structure is formed by experiences children have in the first three years of life. 
Love Every designs their products for learning with a team of experts, academics, researchers, and specialists to make sure they're exactly what your child needs and loves. Their award-winning play products meet your child at each developmental stage. We love that they are thoughtfully crafted with sustainable, organic, and natural materials. We are all fans of their play kits and all of our babies have loved the play gym. We are excited to offer you free shipping on your next Love Every purchase when you use the link in our show notes or in our Instagram bio at Montessori Moms in the Wild. Happy playing! Today, we wanted to do a Q&A episode to answer some questions from our listeners um, through Instagram or just um, friends who may be listening and have texted questions. So we wanted to be sure we were able to get to those so we can help our listeners out um, as much as we can. Um, also want to do a disclaimer, like this is our opinions. Yeah. This is our knowledge we are sharing. Um we don't know it all, so take our answers with a grain of salt with whatever you want to take it. But, like, this is not the end-all be-all. Like, this is just us three moms, Montessori-trained people who are just giving you kind of what we know and what we're sharing. So We are not relationship experts. No, we are not, not at all. parenting experts. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, we are just here to support your journey if you're choosing to go down this Montessori path and be here to be part of your team. So if you have any other questions or just need someone to talk to about what you're going through right now, please message us at Montessori Moms in the Wild on Instagram. We also have an email, Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. Good point. Good point. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> okay, um, so question number one um, was from Trista O'Brien on Instagram, and her question was Montessori versus public. Like, what's the major differences here? Um, so I just kind of want to go through like a few points, and then we're gonna like hash it out more so. But um, first is like the prepared environment. So when you walk into the Montessori classroom, it is set up to meet the child's needs at that age level. Um, a lot of times in a public classroom, it's more set up as like desk in a row. Um, it's not groups. It's, it just, it looks a lot different than, um, than a Montessori classroom. Hands-on versus memorization. Um, Montessori method in a classroom is very much um, hands-on learning um, versus kind of rote memorization, which is a lot of times what traditional public schools um, offer concrete versus abstract which goes along with that um, teacher partnership and student-led is also um, something very strong in the Montessori method um, we have as a three-year cycle so that is like a strong strong foundation with the teacher that your child's in um, in that classroom they're spending a lot of time with that teacher and that teacher really gets to know um that child in the family. And then a lot of times later, if at our school, we end up having the siblings. So sometimes we have the family for years and years and years, which that bond between the family and the teacher is super strong. Another thing is age group versus grade level. So um, it's blended age groups for Montessori classrooms and just individual grade levels for public schools. Um, curriculum is predetermined kind of for both but the Montessori curricula is more child center whereas traditional moves on because it's not focused on child's individual learning um and the pace of work so this is just kind of like this is a quick like overview like this is my thoughts right when I can think of it and now I want all of us to like share in and answer this the best way possible yeah I think that's a really great organization of like the major kind of defining differences in the public school experience, which is what I had, by the way, I don't, you guys weren't Montessori kids, right? You were both in public school as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's what we all experienced our entire lives um, versus what the experience is like in a Montessori environment. So we talked a lot about the importance of the prepared environment as in putting things at a level that's accessible to children, having things out that are interesting to them, having things that are working really important skills, but they're very tactile, tangible very, you know, nicely well-made, generally beautiful and enticing to the children objects. So you walk into a Montessori classroom at 
really anywhere from toddler up through the lower elementary classroom. And even in some upper elementary classrooms, you walk in and the the shelves, there are these wooden shelves everywhere that look like they have these like toys on them almost. They just look like things that must be fun to interact with. They're colorful. Um, they're coordinated in some way, you know, like it just, the kids want to interact with the things there. Um, and it's hard for parents to see how those things are academically linked, but they absolutely are. And that's what's so cool about them is especially in those younger rooms with all of those beautiful, tactile, tangible materials or works that children call them. They'll take a basket of tiny figurines off of the shelf at the children's house level. And, you know, there's a little penguin and there's a little cow and there's a little horse and they'll bring it to the teacher and play a game called I Spy. And to them, this is a game. This is, it feels like a game, but it's also their work and they would, they'll call it a work um, instead of a game, but they're having so much fun being asked to find the thing in the basket that starts with the sound and they have to, you know, make it themselves and then pick the penguin. And um, you're not going to see that lesson happening in a traditional public school kindergarten. They're going to learn letter sounds in a different way. Um, But you're going to have a three-year-old doing that in a children's house classroom and knowing every sound in the alphabet perfectly because of these ways that they're interacting with the academic concepts. They're starting with these very, very concrete things at an age where it's inappropriate for them and it's necessary for them to manipulate things with their hands, their their connection between your fingertips and what your hands are doing and what your brain is absorbing and truly understanding is crucial. And that's been proven in a lot of research over the last however many decades. And it's something that Maria Montessori understood right away forever ago um, at a time where she was cutting edge and saying this, but you learn the concrete concepts before you can truly understand them abstractly. So I will have a child in my lower elementary classroom at the age of seven doing out long multiplication problems with this beautiful, colorful material called a checkerboard and these beautiful bead bars that have been in their lives since they first learned quantities back in, you know, toddler or children's house. And they're solving 800,072 times five easily as if it were a game And then eventually after manipulating that and and actually handling quantities and counting them one by one and, you know, really interacting with the material for a couple of years, by the time they're leaving me in third grade, they're doing out these massive problems on paper without a material because they can understand truly these abstract concepts that I was told in third grade just to do it, memorize it. It just works like this. I had no idea why. Math was actually really hard for me. I didn't understand the concepts, but I memorized them because I was told to. And so you, tr- you, you get a deeper access to the curriculum through the Montessori setting. And especially all these other things you're talking about, having, some, having a teacher for three years, the, the bond between you and that adult in your life that feels like a part of your family at this point and the three-year age cycle where you were, you came into the classroom and you were the baby of the family and then you were the middle child for a year and that was the sweet spot. And then you were the oldest and had to lead by example. And you got to try all of those roles, which is something you cannot do in your real family. You're born into whatever you're born into. But in the classroom, you get a little bit of all of it. And you get to experience these different roles throughout society and where you fit into them. And at this point, I think I've been talking for like 10 minutes straight. So I need to stop. But I just... (laughs) I don't even want to stop you because... I mean, (laughs) you're you're saying it like perfectly. You're doing a wonderful job. But also you can just tell how passionately you feel about this type of education. And I think we all do. And so it's going to be hard to just like reel us back. I know guys, I'm sorry. It's just such a different experience. And if it's done right, and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that every school that slapped the word Montessori into its title is doing it the right way. Montessori was not like trademarked or, you know, whatever the the term is I'm looking for legally. And so Mm -hmm. just about anybody could be a Montessori school. So it it is important that you really go in and observe and and that you know what you're looking for. Do your research. Yeah. yeah. Do your research as a parent. Anyway, the experience is different. The curriculum is denser. You're able to cover more and young children are able to just comprehend concepts that you think that they can't because of the way that it's presented to them and made accessible to them. And it is truly amazing to watch. And I have six through nine-year-olds and they come in to to see me as little six-year-olds 
And by the time that I'm writing their little like goodbye speech on the last day of school and when they're third graders and they're about to leave me and go to upper elementary, I am weeping like I am saying goodbye to my own family members. Like it is just such a different, more personal and individual and just profound experience. That's all. All right, I'm done. Well, I think like when when Maria Montessori talked about her type of education and this method, she talked about educating the whole child. And I think that that's what Laura's talking about is Mm -hmm. that you get to know every part of this child for who they truly are and the potential that they have instead of just focusing on academics, telling them what they need to know and getting them through to the next teacher. It really is an experience. And I think when you one of it's hard to even imagine what a Montessori school looks like if you've never been to yeah, one. If you've never seen it or been there's to it. There's COVID, yeah. it's hard to go do observations. If you go on YouTube and just look up Montessori classrooms in action, um, you can watch work cycles, which are three hour periods. I mean, they're not going to actually be three hours long, but it'll just be clips and kind of show you what they look like because if all you've ever known is traditional schooling, I don't think it's probably very easy to even comprehend what that looks like because there's no teacher standing at the front lecturing and telling everyone what to do. Oftentimes, oftentimes you don't even see the teacher. You don't even, you can't even find them. Um, they, you might not see, they might be in the corner somewhere working with a child quietly and the rest of the children are working diligently on all different things at the same time. And people often are very confused by that. They're like, how do they all do different work? How do they know what to do? And so I think we could probably talk about it for yeah. several a hours. Never, never. A whole episode. Yeah. But um, if you're curious about it, I'd say to go look it up on YouTube. And also there is a video also on YouTube called Montessori versus Conventional School. And it's by Excellent Montessori. And it's just a couple minutes. And it basically lays out the differences between conventional and um, Montessori schools. And it's just super interesting. It's like little drawings. And it's really, I think, a good overall idea of what the differences are. You know, I think think Laura covered it really well. So let's move on to the next question. Okay. So our next question was from Felicia through Instagram, how to discipline a difficult, stubborn child. Can I start with this one just yes, like before please, we even before we even get down into like step by step what you might do. I want to say that one of the biggest we talked about this in the first episode is the transformation of the adults, parent, teacher, whoever it is. And part of that is changing the way that we view children. And so I, I, I'm sure that this question has nothing to do with any specific child, just kind of the idea of like, what does discipline look like in a Montessori home or in a Montessori school? But I do just want to say that when we take part in the spiritual transformation, we are taking a really hard and serious look at what we expect from children. And seeing their true needs and their true potential and not trying to kind of discipline them into submission. Now, discipline's a really great thing, but we want it to come from internally versus us putting it on, you know, we just, we want you to be quiet. We want you to behave. We want you to do what we say. And so it's this whole shifting of your mindset. And I wanted to read a couple maybe just one, because I, again, I could go into this for so long, um, of things that Maria Montessori said herself. So one of the quotes that I wrote down is from the Montessori method, and it's, the task of the educator lies in seeing that the child does not confound good with immobility and evil with activity, as often happens in old time discipline. So basically, it's saying that we don't want to shut down their natural instincts. And basically, Maria Montessori said that when we provide a prepared environment, when we ourselves are prepared, they can find inner discipline. So we don't need to do the disciplining. We need to 
prepare a space that allows the child to find discipline within themselves. Yeah. And I, before I want to say before then Laura um, really answered the bulk of this question already, so I want her to share, but before we dive into that, I want to say it's typically like Megan said, it is the parent's journey. So we don't ever want, we don't want to like put this on the child. The child is so young. They're learning, like they're learning how to self-regulate. They don't know. Normally in that instance, they don't, they, their world is just going crazy because it's at kind of out of control. They don't know what's happening in that moment. So if we go crazy or get more frustrated, like everything just gets crazier. And hey, I do this all the time. I get more like this morning, my toddler had a tantrum and I was getting even more frustrated. And I knew I was like, okay, I got to take a deep breath and step back because I'm he's reacting to how I'm reacting now. So every we all, all our children have hard moments. Every single one of us all we all have hard days, but it it typically is how me how we maybe responding to it or as a parent maybe how we haven't prepared ourselves to walk into that moment okay Laura go (laughs) (laughs) um I feel like that's gonna become like a quote that I'm gonna have to put on like a (laughs) t-shirt Laura Laura, go go. (laughs) this is like the third episode that you've been like all right just just go um Okay, so here are my notes on it. So uh, some of this advice actually also comes from my um, former co-teacher, very good life friend, babe. I'm just going to shout her out. Babe, yeah. Um, She's best. And she has given me parenting advice for like seven years before I even had a child. And some of the things, and actually really a lot of it is also coming from parents coming to conferences with questions about behavior and managing behavior and you know, how do I get them to be as well behaved as you supposedly claim that they are here? Because we never see the kid that you see at home at school. And so I'm not saying it's because we do it perfectly, but the way that we're approaching it is definitely helpful. So she always told me like the first step that you can take is stopping yourself. Like the ladies are saying, checking in with yourself and taking some deep breaths, calm yourself down because your energy level is just going to be gasoline on their energy level. What is causing this meltdown or inappropriate behavior? And more importantly, how is it serving this child to behave this way? Okay. So they're screaming in the middle of the aisle at Walmart. You're just trying to run in and grab something, blah, blah, blah. They want the goldfish. You said they can't have goldfish. It's a total, total World War III meltdown. Why are they doing this? Have they already learned at some point that when they do this in the middle of the store, I am going to panic and grab the stupid goldfish and put them in the cart and say, okay, okay, fine. You can have the goldfish. If that's the case, then... I'm going to expect a lot more of this behavior because it is serving this child. So ask yourself, what's the cause here? And how is this reaction getting them what they want? Because that's all a child is programmed to do is behave and respond in a way that gets them the desired outcome of the thing they're looking for. Like Rachel said, there's no like malicious thought behind, I'm going to mess with mom today. It is purely... I see cookies. I want cookies. Give me cookies now. And anything standing in my way is the worst thing ever. It is massive emotional distress that I'm experiencing. And I haven't learned the tools yet on how to regulate that. So that brings me to another point I have. When this tantrum or defiant behavior starts, take a deep breath. And then it's important to get down to the kid's level, name and validate the emotion that the child is showing you. Okay. So let them know that they're angry and that that's okay. It is okay to feel angry, disappointed, frustrated, whatever it is that you're reading on the kid right now. But then you hold the line. So it is okay to feel angry. It is not okay to hit your little brother. That is not okay. There is still going to be a boundary, but you are now reframing this whole conversation to be, listen, buddy, I understand that you're having a hard time recognizing what's going on inside of you. So I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to tell, I think you use this in another episode, Rachel, you telecaster, right? You like sports cast what's going on. Yeah. That's really important if we're talking about younger ages right now. So I don't know what age the child is in Felicia's question, but say we're dealing with a younger child up through, you know, four or five, even anywhere in that first kind of big plane of development. 
it's so important to be taking those steps of calming yourself down, asking what is it that they truly want and how is this behavior serving them? And then you're basically going to now make sure that it no longer serves them while also telecasting what's going on for them, validating that, holding a boundary, holding a line, and then giving them an alternative, right? So like, Rachel, you were talking about um, having a calm body space and that you give them the option to, I, you can go calm your body over there. That is what you can be doing right now to be you know, productively dealing with this emotion. So you're giving them these options. Try to restate what it is that you want them to do in this situation in a positive way. So instead of no pouring water on the table, I recommend that you try the water stays in the cup. The cup stays on the table. You are telling them simply and calmly exactly what the expectation is in the situation. If you are taking no and don't out, you are most likely going to see less of these surefire ways to elicit the exact behavior that you are telling them not to do. So that's another thing that came up in praise and punishment episode five. So revert back to that one for a little more details there on the science and blah, blah, blah. But that's another big one. Restate it in the positive. And also a good one. I just, my last one here is that you can a lot of times kind of head this off at the pass. If you preview the expectations of a situation, literally any situation, we're going to the movies, we're going in the grocery store, we're getting in the car, whatever it is, preview the expectations of that situation, go over what is expected of them. So this is now something that I think of um, when I think of the ages I work with, six through nine, nine through 12 even. At this point now, you can, in advance of the situation that you might predict, you're gonna see this behavior that you're struggling with, preview the expectation, right? Go over it. This is what I want to see. This is what, this is how we behave in the movie theater. This is how we behave in the grocery store. This is the volume level that is safe in the car. And this is why. And then you're going to very clearly outline what the consequence will be if that behavior isn't met. So, um, make sure that you're going to pick a consequence that you absolutely will follow through with no matter how inconvenient it might end up being for you. Because if there is a loophole and they find it, they know that this is not really a rule. This is not really set in stone. There is flexibility here. Children love a loophole. They are constantly evaluating the system and finding weaknesses in it, which is a very good thing. That's great that their little brains are able to do that. You just make sure you're too, not. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who doesn't love a loophole? Try to make sure you're not the loophole as much as possible. All right. That's it. That's all my advice on uh, Megan. That was beautiful about like reframe how you're defining your child and seeing them as a difficult child and all of that. That was great back to preparation of the parent. However, if you're, I just want to throw out some hopefully practical real world advice for, okay, you're already in it. The kid's already screaming. What would I do? I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to think about what's going on here. Why is he doing this? How is this serving him? How can I now ensure that it doesn't serve him anymore? Narrate what's going on, name and validate the emotion, give them an alternative reaction. And then also make sure going into every situation going forward that I am clear on what my expectations are and I have a consequence I will follow through with, preferably a logical one. Yeah, and if this isn't how you've been going about... um discipline, redirection um, in your household, it's going to take time for your child to get used to this new way of doing things. So don't expect to do it once and then like, oh, magically the tantrum shortens or this or that. Like, no, it takes a lot of time and it takes patience and let's move on. Helping organize the house for successful Montessori at home setup. This is from Roxanne. Um, So I think, first of all, which I know we've already shared some about environments, but it's hard setting up an environment. I get it. Um, I look at my playroom right now and I need to do some um, changes of some work out on the shelf for my little one. So I think um, in the beginning, it can feel very, very overwhelming, especially if this is not like normal for you to be like like us, like it's normal for us to have this Montessori kind of vision in our head. Um, But start with minimizing what you have. Like, take everything out of the family room, out of the environment. Look, like, minimize four things maybe in the very beginning. Um, if you have, a, like, a kid's area, where wherever their toys are, um, wherever you kind of want their setup to be. Like, sit on the floor, look at what you have, and then watch them play. Observation is so important. 
um, to know like, what are they interested in? What are they playing with? What have they not touched? Or what are they just throwing? Or are they just throwing and dumping everything? Or are they intentionally sitting down and playing with three things you have out? I think observation is the number one go-to. Um, I always share just as a parent and a Montessorian because you learn so much from just watching what your child's doing and what they're interested in. But Megan, Laura, y'all want to share? Um, I usually, again, this is really, really hard. Um, I usually start with a kind of cleansing of just, this is just my, I feel like everybody's different. This is kind of how I go about things. If it's not serving my child, it's gone. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, um, no, that's a good point. Get rid of it. Not just that, but if it's overwhelming me, it's gone. I, I think that the home should be a place of peace. It should be a place of recharging. And if it's causing you stress, if it's causing your children stress, if it's really overwhelming, then get rid of it. I mean, you can donate it. You can give it to a friend who would love it. And that's usually where I start. So I usually have just kind of getting practical about it. I have several bins in each child's room. So I have three bins in each room in their closet. Once those bins are overflowing, I take them out and I get rid of stuff so that everything fits in those bins. And that's how I stay able to stay on top of it because I could easily have those bins filled and have another one in in storage and I could have a big giant toy box in their room that's also overflowing and that just even talking about it makes me so stressed. So my biggest advice is if you are trying to kind of go this Montessori way is I would start really taking a look at what what is serving my child. And, and when I say that, it's kind of like what Laura was saying with behavior is, is this, are they concentrating? Are they treating it respectfully? Is it a purposeful piece of material in my home? And if it's not, then maybe it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> what do you think, Laura? I guys, I can't talk anymore. I've talked <laughs> too much. Someone has to cut me off. Like I cannot talk <laughs> this much all the time. I agree with you guys. Um, Megan, you were just telling me yesterday about the kitchen. You got rid of the kitchen because it wasn't serving you guys kitchen. anymore. I Good did. for you. I did. And I'll just I'll, I'll talk about it now. I'm also going to post a video of it on Instagram, um, which the entire time I have toothpaste on my face in it. So, <laughs> so on brand. Look out for, <laughs> look out for yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. Meg, you're I the mean, best. It's really just, I brushed my teeth that day. So that's that. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. yeah. That's a I, really, I really have it together, actually. That's a and yeah, I so I got rid of the kitchen. And so I just want to start off by saying that the kitchen can be a really beneficial place for your child to have their stuff at their level. But it is not a piece of Montessori furniture. So if you are, and this is so, I feel like they're starting to be really in the same world as everyone sees Montessori, they see the kitchen. Okay. It does have a purpose, but it is not a Montessori material. It was not created no. by Montessori. None of us no. need it. Okay. And so I, I, found that it wasn't useful for my home. I, I was having a hard time refilling it. My child wasn't using it. And she just kept going to the drawer to get the stuff where it actually was because I kept forgetting to refill this stupid kitchen. And so I just put everything where she went to go find it. And that's part of our nature and reality, right? She yeah. She's going to the place where we all use like we all use the kitchen she's going to use the kitchen so we put it in the point. kitchen yeah that's um, the thing to be montessori montessori wants them to do the real thing in the real mm -hmm. world as soon as possible marie right. montessori doesn't think that it's a practical life skill to cut tiny wooden pieces of velcroed fruit with a <laughs> fake knife that's a nice little their size activity that you can give them for a lot of reasons, but that's not the true Montessori flaw. The Montessori is go get up in the in your like helper or whatever and cut real fruit with me with a real yeah. wavy chopper and so get we can eat it dirty. for lunch. There's a purpose. Let's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's and and now this is to say that not everyone has a kitchen where their child can be completely independent and go to 
a spot in the kitchen. So the play kitchen that you make functional is useful for a lot of people. And so I just want to say that too, that you have to do what's best for your home and your family. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't working for us. And so I think that that's a good kind of example that we're talking about now is what is useful in your home and what is not. And you don't need to force yourself to have this ideal picturesque kitchen or playroom or whatever it is. And we've talked about this a lot. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think we could probably talk about this more, but we could also maybe put some examples on our Instagram. Yeah. I think just keep it simple. Just pare it down, get down to their level and do some observing. Like Megan said, when she was setting up a space, she got down to eye level for the children in that space and said that, I know that sounds silly, but it's important that I see things from their perspective. What's going to be a struggle to get to? What's going to be something I can easily get to that's dangerous for me? All that stuff so that you know that they can exist in that space comfortably. Observe, like Rachel said, for a good couple of days and look at what is being used intentionally. What do they seem to care about? And like Megan said, get rid of everything else when you can just pack it up and if you do have the storage, put it in tubs, you can try to rotate through it another time and see if there's more interest later. If you don't have the storage, pay it forward, let somebody else play with it. And that's really, it can be as simple as that. But if you need more specific examples, let us know. Yeah, we're happy. Please send us another email or um, Instagram message and we're happy to like be more detailed with like very specific stuff. Um, this is kind of just like an overview. Um, next one by Emily Smith, um, navigating conflicting parenting styles environments with family and friends. So this is, um, this is one we're all dealing with probably all the time. Like, of course, like I think all of us can say like we're on the same page with our partners, um, as far as parenting, like in our household. Um, but of course, like we are, probably coming to contact with other friends or family members who may not at all be seeing the same vision that we are or um, still thinking along the traditional way more so and they can't believe that we would let this or that happen. Da, 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 da. Um, so I think, mm, Laura, go ahead. You already had good points. I know. I think I was going to say, let's unleash her. <laughs> You've been unleashed because I know you have a lot to say about this. <laughs> well, the first I ranted about this in the first, like in one of the first episodes too. So yes. somebody else rant. Yeah, but you did. And that's actually the I very first point that I have here is that Rachel said in the first episode, Preparation of the Parent, <laughs> that she made the decision. She did not grow up in a Montessori household. None of us did for the record. When she discovered that philosophy and decided to step into that and make that the way she was going to parent and also live professionally and become a teacher and all that good stuff. And she talked it out with Garrett and he was on the same page and he saw all the value in it. And he said, okay, we're committing to it. She knew that she had to stand in that every day. Like she had to own that and she had to just like brace herself for any disagreements that might come from that. There are already people out there who were told, oh, that's stupid. Don't, oh, that's ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. And just undermined the whole time. For that, I have to say, I am so sorry. That is awful. Um, it happens. People do it. They say these things without even thinking and it's so just not okay. But I guess if I could just try to encourage you that you have to understand that what you decide is best for your family, that's it, period. There is no negotiating that. Obviously, if someone's coming to you from a place of like love and concern and having a, a logical conversation, that's one thing. I don't mean like don't listen to anybody's advice or words ever. Once you've made your decision on your philosophy, be open-minded, be flexible, be always learning. But if you are getting that static, that disrespect back and, the, and, and someone is doing something to affect how your family is running, that is contrary to what you believe in your heart is the best thing, you need to get comfortable with standing up for yourself and, and owning that this is your choice. You have to remember that this is your child. You are the parent now. I can't say that there aren't going to be times where if someone really vehemently disagrees with you and there's someone close and important to you, that it's not going to get difficult 
navigating like, well, this is why we're not going to put the TV on right now, or this is why we're not going to give that kind of toy or whatever. The kid, no, please do not give them that massive sugary cookie. I feel really strongly about that. Don't tell me I'm being dumb. You know, like name it, you name it, and someone could disagree with you on it. Sleep schedules, feeding, toys, education, everything. And that's that's just going to be part of being a parent. And you have to not let somebody else's opinion scare you out of doing what you know to be the best thing for your family. It's your family now. That's it. I have a couple, like a couple practical things that I feel like can be helpful. Um, I, so when we talk about Montessori, we talk about respecting children and treating them just like everyone else. Therefore you can use a lot of the principles that we talk about on adults because they're respectful. They are honest. And so if you feel like there might be some pushback from family members, I would do exactly what Laura said to do to your child, front load. These are my expectations. I'm coming over to your house. Yeah. And I I really don't want my child to have, we'll use the example that Laura used. I really don't want my child to have any sweets. We've brought our own food and I hope that you can respect my boundaries. That way, when you come into that situation, you're not backtracking of kind of meeting that person in an emotional way. So that's one way that you can do that. And then I would also say knowing what your boundaries are before you go into that situation in your for yourself. I have learned to loosen the reins a lot and know that if my child plays with that really fun light up toy with her friends, it's fine. She's having a wonderful experience with her friends and she needs to learn how to navigate the world. And that stuff exists in the world. I can't protect her from every thing that I find not maybe exactly purposeful. And in that moment, it is purposeful. She's having a social moment with one of her friends. That's important to do. Or if she's out at a birthday party and she wants a cupcake, like I'm, it's, it's one time. And I think they talk about this in big little feelings that they talk about the 80, 20 rule. Yes. That 80% of the time you're consistent, you know, you hold your boundaries and you are making sure that everything is expected for your child. But 20% of the time, you know what? They might have that cookie. It's fine. They might play with that toy that you don't love. It's fine. They might. Um, I know for me, one of a, a big thing at the beginning of my child's life is I was really against anyone spoon feeding her, like really against it. And I really had to just let it go because some people wanted to bond with her. And that's the only way that they knew how was they remember spoon feeding their baby. And it felt like this emotional bonding moment for them. And I had to see it for what it was. It wasn't them trying to hurt my child's sensory exploration with her food. They were just trying to bond with her. And so I think kind of letting go a little bit and letting people interact with your child, if it's not harming them outright, yeah, yeah. it's okay. And it's going to be and, okay. And I think yeah. that's perfect. Actually, um, if we want to move on, it's perfect to kind of go into the next um question from John Michael, how to deal with other people's playrooms, including the grandparents of the child. So, I mean, Megan just said it, like, I think, and I think we probably all would agree on this, the 80, 20, it's like, if I'm going to go into somebody else's house and my child, I like agreed, like to come to their environment for my child to play with their child. It like, it is what it is. Um, my little boy would probably have fun with that, whatever he sees there with the friends, it's bringing him enjoyment do I choose to have that in my home? Maybe not. Do I, you know, that's the, that's the 80% in my home. This is what we kind of have set up when we go other places. He may see other things, do other things. I can't help what other people are doing. I'm not in there. You know, I'm not the parent in that household. I'm not making the choices for that child. And Rachel, so, that's such an important lesson just for human beings. Like, oh, totally. Do whatever they want. Yeah, and it is not. It's not our job to tell other people what no, to do or judge all. their parenting or their lives in general. So that's such an important um, opportunity. I would take that mm -hmm. as an opportunity to talk to your child. And Laura, we talked about this yesterday, so I'm going to let mm -hmm. you talk about it 
in more in depth, but basically when our children learn to be accepting of other people and their choices, they learn that what other people do is their choice and we respect it and there are positives and benefits to the way that they're doing it and they're the way that we do things and that's okay. And I feel like as human beings, that's something that's really important for all of us to have. Maybe you believe in this religion and I don't. I can respect what you believe or your politics or whatever it is and that doesn't mean I have to believe it and that's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah, that's a huge part of the Montessori philosophy in general is just like understanding that everybody has a place here. Um, So yeah, we were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about this exact question and we were talking about it through the lens of the fact that I emptied pretty much everything that we have into the middle of the living room in anticipation of you and your child arriving and was like, let them go. Just let them go nuts on every like gross motor thing was out. Like it was just everything, everything everywhere. And they were having a wild time with that. And there was like Olympics on the TV because I wanted to show Megan's child her future because she is (laughs) a tiny Olympian. Olympian. (laughs) We'll cover that another time. so yeah, it was just way more like chaotic and and messy than it normally would be. And that, that was okay. The 80-20 rule, it's not always like that. It was a special situation. We had a special visitor and mommy was too tired to make everything immaculate. So like, this is just going to be what it is. That was my own house. That wasn't even at grandma's house or someone else's house. Um, so I think it is important that you remember all things in moderation and also choose your battles, right? There was nothing actually dangerous to either child in that situation. Even the philosophy wasn't being endangered in this situation. So like, really, it's okay. Take a deep breath. But then let's say you're getting to the age, they're in the second plane of development, and they're now going over to other people's houses, especially without you. And um, at that house, they played video games all night. They had junk food just like on stream coming from the kitchen. It was just not at all like what you are striving to set up in your house, right? Maybe that is your house. Maybe that's not your house. But the point is your kid goes and has an experience that's dramatically different. Maybe maybe you are the chaos house and your kid went over to a friend's house who was listening to classical music and like the living room was perfectly kept and they were really impressed with that and came home and in either case said, why does so-and-so get that? Like, why don't we do that? At so-and-so's house, they do this. At so-and-so's house, they do that. Like, I want to play video games all night. I want... The living room to be perfectly clean. Like, okay, great. That is what works for that family. That is what that family has chosen. Every family is different. Every family makes different choices and has to do what works for them. This is how our family lives. You can just simply make it okay that other people live differently. Yeah. 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 So I'd say either let it go or if it's something that's really important to you or if you see that person often. So like we, our father-in-law or my father-in-law, he watches my children three times a week. And so he sees them often enough that it's important to me that he follows certain guidelines that I have because he's a part of their daily routine a lot of the time. And so that conversation just has to happen beforehand. Here's what I expect And this is why. And in order for you to have my children in your care, I have to trust that you're going to be able to follow those expectations. And I feel like that you have to decide what what your battles are. Yeah. So, and that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. They're, once again, going back to, they're your kids. This is your family. You're making the choices that work for your family and for your children. So, like, yes, we are able to kind of just go with the flow sometimes and other times you might have to put your foot down and that's okay too. So, yeah. all right, let's move on to the next question. Yeah, we got to get through these. Yeah. This question is from, who is this question from? Is this from Gina maybe? Yes. Yes. Um, so you see all these toys that are Montessori, but it seems like Montessori is more about the practical living rather than the rainbow color toys. Are there toys that are good or that would fit? Does it even matter? Um, so first off, uh, Montessori is definitely just not about like practical life and living. Um, it is um, kind of a way of life, I would almost say. Um, 
but it's not just about practical life. Um, material wise, it's more about like open ended materials, toys um, that are a lot of times self correcting. But that's just kind of a definition of like what if you were to Google a Montessori toy, that's probably something it's going to say when you Google that. I would like to start by saying there is no such thing as a Montessori toy. Yeah. No, okay. de- no definitely There's not. no such thing. So if you're getting these um, ads <laughs> for Montessori toys, there is no such thing. She created didactic materials that are meant to be um, – they're educational materials that are designed for – self-correcting, control of error. At the child's developmental level. Yes. And so these are for the classrooms. Now, when you see something that we talk about love every all the time, right? And you might say those are Montessori toys. Those are not Montessori toys. Even on their website, they will tell you they are not Montessori toys. They align with the philosophy, but they are not Montessori toys. So I just want to get that out there first of all, because if you are going to buy something and it'll probably be 10 times more expensive because it says it's Montessori, that is just a marketing tool. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to start by saying that. Second of all, if we are looking for materials that are aligned and toys that are aligned with the Montessori philosophy, there are easy ways to kind of categorize those. So I have them written down One is that they're natural materials. So we've talked about that before in the prepared environment. Two, they are based in real life. And so we talked about that just recently with our kitchen discussion and our prepared environment. Is that the episode we talked about? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So you can go check that out if you want to hear more about the nature and reality aspect of the Montessori philosophy. They focus on isolated skills. We can get into that, but I'm going to keep going and on my list. And then it encourages independence. So those are the things that we're looking for in a toy. But if it's being marketed to you as a Montessori toy, it is a lie. <laughs> okay? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to spend a lot, a lot of money and they're, Yeah. Do you guys have any examples when you say a toy is open-ended or a toy is self-correcting? What in the world does that mean? That is a fantastic question. Yeah. You want to answer that, Rachel? I can answer. um, My little one's a big fan of puzzles, um, like the big chunk puzzles. Melissa and Doug has a ton of puzzles. So that is a self-correcting toy work, um, whatever you want to call it. So when I were to put that out on the shelf, typically I take the puzzle pieces out and put them in a basket and then he's able to put the puzzle pieces in. So it's self-correcting because there's like a puzzle piece that fits in each place um and if he tries to put it in one place it's not going to fit he's going to self-correct and put it in the correct one eventually if he if he is developmentally there yeah it basically means that the child can use that material or that toy whatever it is without needing you to correct them yeah they can correct it themselves because the material allows for control of error so a puzzle is a great um is a great example of that. Or what's another one? I mean, I don't want to get too much into like Montessori materials because they're, those aren't things that you often see. No. Even just like pegs. Mm-hmm. Putting Fitting them into in. a hole. They have, yeah. You know those boxes that have the little shapes that they go in each mm-hmm. slot and it's like a circle and it only fits in the circle. So if the child tries to put it in the square – it's not going to fit and they can correct it themselves without me being like, that's a circle, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's basically what we're talking about when we talk about um, the, what were, what were we talking about? Self-correct, <laughs> self-correcting material. Self-correcting material um, and isolation of skills. So we're focusing on one skill at a time as not to overwhelm the child. So a lot of materials in the Montessori classroom maybe might isolate smell. They might isolate sight. They might isolate um, color. So we're focusing on one skill at a time versus like this giant light up toy that just flashes in your face and sings and it, and it, you push buttons and it's really, (laughs) really overwhelming. We're focusing on one skill at a time like you said a puzzle 
you're focusing on fitting that piece into another piece. And that is an isolated skill. Yeah. So I think um, we can move on. I think we really answered it. Don't you think? I think so. Yeah. So last question from Roxanne, um, theme shelves, how to know when to put out what. Um, So this is something we wanted to all make sure, like, it's not necessary at all, not at all, all, all to have a theme shelf. It's not a Montessori thing at all. It's totally like a Pinteresty thing more so. Um, you're following your child on what you're putting out and what you're offering for them to do. So you're observing, seeing what they're interested in. And then that's typically what you're pulling out of your bins or organization to put out so they are able to play. Now, I do want to say in the classroom sometimes, I do somewhat um, follow like the seasons and the time of the year, just because when I have 12 children in my classroom, um, I'm not serving just one child. I'm serving the 12 children. And if we're talking about hibernation, then there's probably some books in their book basket or on their bookshelf about hibernation. If we're talking about polar bears, then I might have that out. But that's what I choose to do in my classroom, not in my home. So I have everything out that Finley's interested in right now, such as a train table he got for his birthday because he's super interested in transportation and planes and trains. So that's kind of what we followed with that. In my classroom, it's a totally different thing. Well, we follow, uh, as teachers, we follow a certain sequence within a larger curriculum. And so we are, like in the lower elementary uh, classroom, we are following from the beginning of the universe to now and everything that is in between. And so that's really expansive and it's really fun. But I feel like when people start to do the unit and theme um, thing, it's just because they're not really sure how to sequence. And that's okay. Like if you're just not really sure and this makes you feel comfortable and this is a way that you can bring that concrete thing that's happening outside, like it's snowing. So I'm going to do a winter themed shelf and sensory bin, which also is not Montessori, I want to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. So, which is fine to use. We have them. And um, I just, I, I always want to make sure that that's being said because some people are like, oh, I'm, I want to do Montessori. So I have to get a sensory bin. It's the only reason that I'm mentioning it. It's not that I'm saying that if you want to be Montessori, you can't have a sensory bin. I just don't want you to feel like you are obligated to do that. So um, if that's the only way you know how to create that connection, I think it's a great way. But if it's stressing you out and you're like, I don't, I see everyone else is doing it and I feel like I need to do it too. You don't. Don't do it. Yeah. You don't have to do it. So I think that Rachel talking about following your child is a great way. So an example is that my child loves horses, obsessed with horses. So we have some horse books. She has some horse toys. We have, um, I had printed out some accessories, the, the saddle, the, the bridle. And so she can learn about the stirrups, the different parts of not only the horse, but the parts of their, um, the things that they use and their accessories. So, um, diving deeper into those interests that they have. So it could be that easy if that's what you're into. And if you want to do themes, it's fine, but you don't have to. Is that That's kind of what I just want to yeah. lay out there. Yeah. I just want to circle back to the whole point we made earlier that being Montessori doesn't mean having any kind of toy, doesn't mean having any kind of cool accessory or theme or anything like that. It means that you are having a mostly child-led experience. You're observing what your actual kids are actually into. You're letting them interact with the environment as much as possible. You're having them involved in real-life tasks as much as possible therefore developing their senses and their motor skills and all of that stuff. You're not just plopping them in front of a screen or putting them in a a swing bouncy chair for 12 hours a day and just letting them be little blobs. You're understanding that there's so much more potential in there and that they deserve to be and should be directly involved in all of the stuff going on around them. That's Montessori. So if you are observing that your kid is super into something like Megan with the horses and finding any way at all to provide them an opportunity to interact with that thing and be passionate about that thing, 
then you're already being Montessori. You don't have to have a shelf with perfect little wooden works about that thing. If you find a book or go out to a ranch and look at some in real life, or if you do anything at all based on what your kid is showing you that they're into, you're already being Montessori. So yeah. And I mean, there is a method and there is a sequence and there is a curriculum that is authentically Montessori, but that's our job. That's not your job at home. Unless you're homeschooling and you want it to be authentic, then you, this is a whole different conversation. But as a parent, this is the way that you can follow these philosophies at home in a way that works for your family and not worry about following that those exact secrets creating a classroom in your house that's not that's not that's that's totally yeah Yeah. (laughs) in fact if your kid is actively involved at any school especially a Montessori school please don't go out of your way to make this enormously academic experience at home that's super duper structured because really your kid's just going to be burnt out on that whole concept Mm -hmm. because they're working hard at school all day and now you're having them work at home too like you can you can kind of ease up a little bit Unless, like Megan said, if you are trying to be a homeschooler, there's different podcasts out there for you somewhere. I mean, please listen to this one too. But this one, we're not trying to set you up to be homeschool experts. We're trying to just sort of impart some of the philosophy that makes parenting easier for us to approach it this way. Yeah. All right. Let's, we're going to need to move on. Let's wrap up. Mm -hmm. All right, we really want to lighten things up to finish out the show with everybody's favorite segment, Confessions from the Wild. But we also have like so much content already in this episode. I feel like we need to like really, really wrap it up. So we voted and I think Rachel's confession from the week is the best of everyone's. So Rachel, go. No, I totally... This is just whatever. Okay, so uh, my little one had pink eye. I guess it's almost been a week ago now. Um, And I totally thought pink eye was like this thing you got like once in your childhood and you never have it again. (laughs) But it's not. Like chicken pox? Not yet. It is not. It is not. (laughs) Because uh, my dad got it from my child and now my husband has it from my child. And luckily... I don't have it yet, but I got the eye drops in case I get it. But um, yeah, fun times. I was like, oh, I told my mom. My mom was like, yeah, no, you can get that again. You've had it more than once. I'm pretty sure, Rachel. I was like, okay, well, yeah. clearly I don't even know anything. Pink eye is more like a like lice in that it's one of those things that spreads like wildfire between kids and yeah. they can get it multiple times. Yeah. So don't listen to my pink eye. Um. Uh, Thanks, rules. <laughs> this is not a medical podcast. <laughs> we are not, not medical experts. <laughs> well, you can and will get pink eye, guys. Yeah. Yes, you will. I'll probably get it soon enough. You I will. honestly can't believe you haven't yet. I, I can't. All right. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and give us a five-star rating. Or get out of town. <laughs> Old West or get out of town. Get out of town. <laughs> I was gonna try like five different versions, so I think it's good. Um, <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. I almost said stay some kind of outro. <laughs> Until next week, some kind of outro line. <laughs>